Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The Verge this week reported on the fact that Microsoft announced that Internet Explorer will be end-of-life for at least consumer versions of Windows 10, from June 15, 2022. The report states that the long-term servicing channel, or LTSC, of Windows 10 will still include Internet Explorer next year. All consumer versions will end support of the browser. Microsoft doesn't make it clear, and The Verge says they're checking with them, but it's likely that we could finally see the end of Internet Explorer being bundled in Windows either in June 2022 or soon after. Though the soon after and that June 2022 date is kind of speculative. Hopefully they clarify when IE will be unavailable in all versions of Windows 10. That would be really great to see. 2022 is not very far away at all considering the number of apps in Enterprise that still rely on things like ActiveX, IE plugins, and browser help objects. Microsoft is promising to support all this and more in IE mode within Edge until at least 2029. And while reading this story, I couldn't help but think about the late great Chris Jackson, who took a pretty strong line about Internet Explorer and its use even before Microsoft themselves formally came out with any company policy on it. I'm sure his awesome work around security and browser security plus application compatibility through the years has contributed greatly to these efforts. In somewhat surprising news, it was confirmed over the last week that the gang who attacked the Colonial Pipeline has been paid $5 million by Colonial Pipeline Co. Once they received the payment, the hackers provided the operator with the decrypting tool to restore its disabled computer network. In a common theme, for many of those who pay for a decryption key, they have found that the tool is very slow, and so the company has continued using its own backups to help restore the system. Bloomberg also reported that last month, a ransomware task force said that the amount paid by victims increased by 311 percent in 2020 reaching about 350 million dollars in cryptocurrency the average ransom paid by organizations in 2020 was 312,493 dollars pretty sure i covered the details of this report earlier this year but worth highlighting again in a story that is close to home for me Ireland's health service, the HSE, was hit with ransomware at the end of last week. Reports suggest that the ransomware hit at night, but that the IT teams reacted relatively quickly to shut the systems down. 
In the days before I recorded this episode, the Irish Taoiseach Michal Martin and the head of the HSC Paul Reid stated that the ransom will not be paid. The group believed to be behind the attack is called Wizard Spider, who are reported to be based in Russia. They demanded $20 million as their ransom. Recently, the Conti Locker team published some data that they suggest is from the HSE. The attack could not have occurred at a worse time. It briefly resulted in the COVID-19 vaccine registration portal being taken offline, though I believe this was just out of an abundance of caution, and that was brought back online relatively quickly. Many important services have had to cancel appointments, including oncology, which is really terrible. From reports by some, it appears not all hospitals have been affected equally, and that some may have had separate systems in place. One of the most immediate impacts was on the National Maternity Hospital, which cancelled appointments for all the ladies under 36 weeks in their pregnancy, but it is now said that that hospital is getting back on their feet quicker than expected. Others are not so lucky, with most departments resorting to pen and paper, which is causing serious delays. And at this time, vaccination numbers, which have been reported daily, have not been reported since May 11th. And this just in, as I record this podcast this week, RTE News are reporting that the HSE has actually received the decryption keys today. The only statement from the government says that the state did not pay a ransom. Early speculation is that the state did in fact pay a ransom, but they just found a different way around it. So they possibly got someone else to pay the ransom on their behalf, so they wouldn't have to admit it maybe after taking such a hard line approach that they would not pay any ransom. Or, I don't know, maybe this cyber gang sprung a conscience, but it doesn't seem like it. I've been covering ransomware attack stories for the last three years, and Early on, there seemed to be a policy in place and an agreement that they would not attack hospitals, but particularly over the last year, that seems to have gone out the window. Also, the fact that they published some of the data online already, and it took five days to get the decryption keys, I'm guessing somebody paid the ransom. That's just my speculation. The Verge reported this week on a research study published by researcher Matthew Vanhoff that highlights 12 different attack vectors in Wi-Fi, even Wi-Fi secured with WPA2 and 3. One of the reported attack vector exploits routers accepting plain text during handshakes, one exploits router caching data in certain types of networks, and there's 10 more, and they all work in different ways. I just wanted to briefly mention a couple. And at this time, Van Hoff is not aware of the vulnerabilities being exploited in the wild, which is good news, at least for now. And many vendors have already released patches for their products impacted by the vulnerabilities, including Microsoft, Aruba, Cisco, Intel, Juniper, Lenovo, Samsung, Synology, Netgear, and more. So get patching, folks. I believe most organizations still use Configuration Manager or Endpoint Manager for deploying patches to persistent machines at least. Well, there is now an update for Microsoft 365 apps that will improve the update manageability in Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager. Up until now, the use of ADRs, which are automatic deployment rules with Microsoft 365 apps, had been a challenge to manage depending on the update channels that you supported. 
Starting in late June, all future updates for 365 apps, including 2019 and 2021 volume license products, will receive an updated naming convention via the title property. With this change, you'll be able to utilize the title property within the search criteria of your ADR definition to more easily target the necessary updates for your environment. This improvement should eliminate the need for IT admins to continually update their search criteria with each new release. ZDNet has reported that Microsoft have officially stated that Windows 10X, which was supposed to be their competitor to Chrome OS, will not be coming in 2021 and by the sounds of things from their Windows 10 21H1 post that highlights the fate of 10X, to me it sounds like it may be shelved indefinitely in favor of instead incorporating some of the features they cooked up for 10X into their existing versions of Windows 10. They state some of the features can already be found in insider builds, including app containers for Application Guard and various other OS enhancements. Just as I scripted this week's episode of the podcast, the Azure portal went down. I don't have the full details because a root cause has not been published yet, and early indications, at least from their Twitter account, suggest that it was affecting the UK region only. From what I could tell, Office 365 definitely remained up, as did Azure Active Directory, but they did say that some downstream services were affected, and for sure the Azure portal was affected, which kind of shamefully enough, in my opinion, when I looked in the Azure status for Europe, the Azure portal was showing up while it was clearly down, and the refresh was set to two minutes, and I checked multiple times and it still showed up. So I guess we can't really rely on that. The error at the time did appear to indicate a DNS issue. And at least in my experience, it seemed to last maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And just tagging another one on here, an hour before I started to record this episode, many people were reporting that Slack was down again. And also this time, the Slack status page was also down, which happened the last time as well. So I guess they haven't learned that. Hopefully on next week's episode, I might have root cause for both of those outages. Maybe it's not a coincidence and there was a DNS issue that affected multiple different web services. Windows Package Manager, also known as WinGet, now has some enterprise-friendly group policy settings available to restrict what commands can be executed in your environment, ensure package integrity by restricting sources, and more. They also said that version 1.0 of Windows Package Manager will soon ship as an automatic update via Microsoft Store for all devices running Windows 10 version 18.09 and later, and they look forward to hearing our our feedback. If you haven't tried Windows Package Manager yet, and you're maybe holding out until it's pushed with the Windows updates, I think you'll enjoy it. It's pretty cool stuff. Show sponsor Liquidware took part in the EUC Inside Track event this week and teased some upcoming features for their Flex App product that will be coming at the end of June. This includes self-contained Flex App packages, one app, one file, sounds a little bit like Thin App, and some of those other container-based products, which is kind of cool for what was at least a layering product in its infancy. There's also Flex App distribution of packages without Profile Unity, which That's pretty cool. You could license it separately, but you still have to have Profile Unity. 
but it sounds like that's not going to be a requirement anymore. There will be easy cloud-based apps from Azure, Google, and Amazon, which I know Citrix app layering, especially with the platform layers, has been kind of promoting itself as a way to manage across different on-prem platforms and cloud platforms. So that's pretty interesting too. They'll also be bringing easy integration of FlexApp with SCCM and Microsoft Endpoint Manager and Intune. So pretty cool. Streamlined application layering methodology for basic use cases and an ability to run FlexApp packages offline for well-managed PCs and laptops. I didn't get to attend the event. I was too busy this week. That last one sounds pretty interesting. I'd love to know more about it. And just a couple of quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. You may recall that I covered on a couple of different episodes of the podcast that there is a feature to add in file type exclusions to stop them from syncing within OneDrive. So one of the examples that I gave was possibly stopping .lnk and .url files that are stored on people's desktops from roaming or syncing uh, over to OneDrive. Well, good news is it's not only available as a group policy anymore. The setting is now also available in Microsoft Endpoint Manager. And I'll share a link for more information on that with this episode, which is episode 177. You'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Or if you've never checked out the YouTube edition of the podcast, I do show things in the video like this. So you get a glimpse of what the UI looks like within Endpoint Manager for managing those settings. And finally in the news, during Apple's ongoing trial with Epic Games, an interesting statement was made. That statement was that Apple feels that the level of malware on macOS is currently unacceptable. That is an interesting about face from years ago when they made the PC guy ads poking fun about viruses on Windows and not on Macs. Perhaps their reputation for being safe is now worth less to them than the chokehold they have on developers, eh? And now, a hot job. Patch My PC are looking for a customer support engineer based in Europe. So they seem pretty flexible with just being based within, it seemed like the European Union. I'm unsure if it includes the UK for this one. They state that Patch My PC's engineering team is responsible for creating successful customer outcomes. You will work collaboratively with Patch My PC's product and engineering teams to ensure high quality products and successful customer or lead onboarding and demos. As you might expect from that description, you'd perform customer facing setup calls, perform technical demos of the product, resolve customer tickets via email, support forms, phone, live chat, and remote support sessions. Some of the requirements include strong alignment with their company values and culture, be empathetic towards customers, be humble and a team player. They also add, if you have a strong ego and don't work well with others, this isn't a position for you. Right on. (laughs) I like that. Have strong communication skills. Application management in Microsoft Intune is a plus. Fundamental understanding of software updates and apps in Configuration Manager is a requirement. Makes sense. And I like also they added in that their team's GIF meme game is on point. 
We can try to teach this, but generally it is a skill that can't be taught. Nice. Some great perks too. So they include three days paid volunteer time. Very cool. Performance bonuses. Three weeks paid vacation. May vary by countries and their laws. And a 200% donation match up to $5,000. Very, very cool. This is making me much more interested in patch my PC. I already was. I've, I've never actually tried the product. I've covered it multiple times on the podcast. I must reach out to them. I'd love to get an NFR key and try out the product. I think I remember seeing multiple demos of the product going to MMS and various different group meetups. Also, what I like is they actually list the salary. They said the salary range will depend on experience but you could expect a range at the equivalent of $50,000 a year to $80,000 a year. The salary will be the local currency of the country the hired applicant is located in. So very cool. Patch My PC sounds like a pretty good place to work. And now a weekly webinar. Next week at Microsoft Build session CON046, titled Updating Your Code to Be More Conformant with the Future, will take place on Thursday, May 27th, between 7 and 7.30 a.m. And I'm not sure what time zone that is. I apologize. I think it might be East Coast, but I'm not entirely sure. But my reason for highlighting it is the awesome Tim Mangan is going to be presenting so you can expect some discussion around MSIX and how developers can create applications with application delivery and streamlining in mind. They say that in this discussion, they'll talk about the easy things that you can do today to prepare for the future and ask that you unmute yourself and turn your camera on. There's not going to be any presentations. Be prepared for a chat and a fun interactive discussion. So that's going to be Thursday, May 27th again. I might have to try and catch that one. It sounds really cool. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. There's a really excellent Twitter thread, which was started by Manel Rodero, about various different security measures you can take on Windows workstations to minimize the impact of ransomware attacks. So he started the thread with three suggestions. I, did, I know I added three suggestions and like last time I looked, I think it was about 27 other people also added suggestions. So it's a really insightful, interesting thread. So check that out and I'll share a link with this episode, which again is episode 177. And you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links. Matthias Melkerson Kalvek, I hope I pronounced that right. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if I didn't, I probably didn't, but he posted an article on how to remove built-in apps in Windows 10 using Intune and Microsoft Store for business apps. So if you're struggling with that and you want to find a way to do it with Intune, check this out. My buddies Ryan and Nieto shared a really great video on how to move from WordPress to GitHub pages. This is something I toyed with myself and I actually have a couple of static pages in GitHub. I think it's really awesome for GitHub pages, but they take things to an whole other level compared to what I did. I just used a set template and kind of dinked around with a little bit, but they're going through customizations and getting good usage out of GitHub pages. I'd also like to thank them and the GoEUC team 
for sending me a really awesome hoodie, which at some point the weather will clear and I may, might be able to share a picture. Although, who knows, because the logo is right over my ass, so <laughs> I might not be able to sh share a picture with the logo on it, but I like to promote them and share a picture of the really cool hoodie they sent me. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. The awesome James O'Regan started a podcast for IGEL, our Eagle, called the Life on the Edge podcast. In episode one, he talks with Citrix's Toby Brown on Microsoft Teams optimization with Citrix and IGEL. So if that's something you've been struggling with, or even if you haven't been struggling with it and you just want to hear from two respected experts, check out that podcast. And if you're on Twitter, the awesome Shane O'Neill started a end user computing group that you can follow, which is E-U-C-D-O-T-I-E. So E-U-C-D-O-T-I-E on Twitter. Feel free to follow that to get some really great EUC content. So if you're a fan of not having dank memes and nonsense like the ones that I post on my personal Twitter account and you just want unadulterated tech content, this would be a really good Twitter account to follow. And finally, if you don't mind, I'd like to promote a couple of things of my own. And as I warned last week, because I've got this kind of flexible work schedule now, I'm contributing more content than I had in the previous, geez, I don't know, five or six years. But first up, as I had promoted on the podcast before, I was a guest on the awesome Thrivecast podcast last week. And the recording of that episode is available on YouTube right now. So if you'd like to hear a little bit about my background, not too much because I didn't drag that topic out because I'm very uninteresting. But if you'd like to hear about that and just um, some community work and words of encouragement for those who are thinking about maybe starting out the podcast of their own or speaking at conferences or getting involved in user groups or possibly starting your own blog, check out that episode and I'll share a link with this episode of the podcast to that episode of the podcast. I might even share the audio of that episode as a special episode of the Five Bytes podcast to cross-promote Thrivecast. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. And finally, I had the pleasure of publishing a blog article on what's new in Control Up version 8.5. So I got to have a sneak peek at this new version. It hasn't actually been released yet, but it's being released soon. And they have some really great features like Control Up Remote DX that gives you some key metrics on remote endpoints down to the level of actually showing you latency between a remote worker's physical endpoint to their router and also from their router out to the internet and also the rest of the way. So if you're a Citrix shop, it's going to show through the gateway to the VDA as well. So no more guesswork on that end of things. Also Edge DX for some really great data on physical endpoints, including Mac OS and Linux endpoints too. Very powerful ability to run remote actions on those physical endpoints, as well as very, very granular and powerful custom reporting for those physical endpoints as well. And some awesome out-of-the-box reports available too, like 
you know, missing patches. If remote machines out there are missing patches, which was pretty common when people rushed out of the office for the pandemic. So you want to make sure those remote endpoints are patched and up to date. This report can help you. It also covers some improvements to solve, like custom dashboards and more. So if you would like to check that out, I'll share a link with this episode, as I do with everything I talk about on every episode of the podcast at 5bytespodcast.com. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.